right now you can yap. This is a okay. good day to yap. All right, excellent. I love yapping. So. Are you going to introduce us? No, no, you are today. Oh. It's, your, it's your job. <laughs> Welcome to the Two Are Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Father Rob, how are you? Hey, James. I'm doing quite well. I am uh, calling. I feel like I'm in trouble when you call me James. Oh, right. That's like when my mother would call me Robert. She's the only one that gets away with calling me Robert. And I, yeah, I know. I always feel like I've messed up or something. I, I didn't go, call you Robert. Go I to my room. Rob. No, no, I'm saying, but my calling you James <laughs> is like when I get called Robert. Right. Mother, I, I know so what you mean. Why am I in trouble? You're not. You've done nothing wrong. Okay. At least, well, not that I know about it. You've probably done something wrong, but Jen, Jen probably knows about it. But Wow. Um, all right. What a so, happy note to start on. How's, uh, how are you doing? How's the retreat going? I am well, and the retreat is going well. Yeah, we've got uh, 19 people who are in the last days of a 30-day retreat based on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And uh, it's been a wonderful month. And, and as a director, as somebody who's guiding four of these people through the retreat, it's uh, a real privilege to be able to see all the ways that God has been working in them and speaking to them. So, um, yeah, it fills me with a lot of joy and consolation. So it's good. Nice. Yeah. And how about yourself? I'm crabby. I'm just Are crabby. You? Yeah, I um, I, I, I was really tired today. So I went out uh, and I took care of my mom and ran some errands. And I picked up a cold brew, a large cold brew. This is going to get me through the podcast. That's oh, my. Great. All right, but uh, it was in a a plastic cup, which I am now I have now found out are easily breakable. Really, <laughs> plastic? Yes. Okay. It's it's just like you, you pull up, uh, you know, and you get and you get a plastic cup. Now everybody's got plastic cups. McDonald's got plastic cups. Mm-hmm. The coffee houses have plastic cups, and I just it dropped. And hit the edge of the table, and all the wonderful uh, cold brew coffee is poured all over my floor. And then I gotta call you. And what about the dog? Isn't that why? Isn't that why you have a dog? A cold brew. What you, <laughs> I want my I dog. I'm, drinking a, I'm coffee? a cat. We grew up with cats. I don't. I don't know much about dogs. Well, cats are do- coffee drinkers, so that makes sense. <laughs> and cigar smokers. But anyway. So, um, yeah, so I'm a little crabby, um, but on a wonderful note, um, we got, uh, uh, an email. We got an email. We should have a little sound effect every time, you know, you, you announce an email, we should have like a a trumpet blast or something. Hold on. Let me see if I can figure that out. (laughs) Uh, uh, Hey, father, guess What? What? We got uh, an email. Wow. <laughs> yeah, keep that going. That, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. Wow. wow. That goes forever. It, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just but we don't get very many emails, so that's No, we don't. That's a, it's a rare email that we get, and it's right. one, uh, one of our um, favorite listeners. Um <laughs> And just to let folks know that you're not going to get audio effects all the time. Uh, while Father is on retreat, he is calling into 
the Podbean. We do Podbean. That's mm-hmm. our that's our platform that shoots out, and and people can listen to it on Podbean, or they can listen to it on an Apple Podcasts yeah. or Stitcher or anything that they want to do. But this is our this is our landing uh, mm-hmm. place right now, and they have an application where I can fire it up, and then Father can call in. And we can have the conversation. It's not usually what we do is like you're sitting in your office. Right. And you're recording your voice. And then I'm in my office and I'm recording my voice. And then I. You splice them. I put them together and then we put them out. But this is, um, this actually ain't bad. I might. Oh, the quality is pretty good. Yeah. And I don't need to, you know, wear cumbersome. Ear an ear set and all this. We don't need Deacon Steve. I've got hey. a headset on. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I've got a headset and a microphone going. Yeah, no, I but, just got uh, a phone. Right. Um, so yeah, so we got. Uh, right. Um, so this is from Glenna, um, who oh, has yeah. commented on our Podbean page, mm-hmm. and uh, she says she was talking about. Um, the our conversation on the Motu Proprio. Mm-hmm. I think that was our last one, right? Yep, it was. Um, Glenna says, great discussion. Another aspect is the pressure this Motu Proprio puts on bishops who are basically damned if they do and damned if they don't. Mm. I've read that the previous papal documents have included the bishop's specific responses within the document itself. If Pope Francis had adhered to his own calls for transparency here, he could have strengthened his own case, in my opinion. Mm. And Glenna brings up some very valid points. Mm. So, mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Glenna. Yeah, I'll have to – I know who she is, so I will uh, reach out to her and thank her for that. And, you know, yeah. I've, actually, I've actually had some conversations since our podcast with a few seminarians, and uh, some of them are actually quite relieved by the – Motu Proprio, because they felt that within their diocese, they're not all from the Milwaukee Archdiocese, they kind of were sensing that there was quite a bit of division within the presbyterate of their diocese, so they feel like this might um, actually calm some of that. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I know there are others that are upset because they were very much uh, looking forward to celebrating the extraordinary form or the traditional Latin mass, and they had been... in, in a process of being trained for it. So, uh, so it's not universally, uh, welcomed, but, uh, anyway. Interesting. And yeah. you've, uh, you've never, uh, celebrated or can celebrated. Um, I have not, I have not, no, no, I was never trained for it. I don't really know Latin well enough. I, uh, by the time I was coming along in religious life, um, Latin wasn't a requirement and, uh, you know, I, I, French was part of my background. And so, um, yeah, I just never, it just wasn't part of my world growing up in the seventies and eighties. So, um, you do mass in French. I have celebrated mass in French. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Très yeah. bien. Oui, oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that's all I'm going to, I'm not going to go into, into launch into French, it'll sound. I was, at, a, at one point, I was thinking about, um, uh, I was thinking about uh, double majoring in theology and uh, French. Oh, I never knew that. So, Father, what are we talking about today? Well, James, we thought that given that I'm in the process of directing. Stop calling me James. All right. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, Jacques, how about Jacques? 
Yeah. Because you thanks. speak French, I will call you Jacques. Rub um, that uh, salt in the wound. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, given that I'm directing some people in that retreat, and that July 31st is the universal celebration of the Feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Oh, that's phenomenal. I didn't know that. It is, yeah. So that's this coming Saturday. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about the spiritual exercises, a little bit about Ignatius, and uh, maybe something about the Jesuits today and what kind of distinguishes us from other groups like the Dominicans or the Franciscans, yeah, the way. Benedictines. Oh, yes, always positive. Okay. That's our So um, just uh, for the record, um, when we talked about uh, L'Examon <laughs> or L'Examen, the examine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tried to say it in French. I, I noticed. Yeah. Um, one of our more popular episodes. People really enjoyed that. Okay. Okay. So I think uh, the spiritual exercises should be, you know, Up along there. the same lines. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Well, um, so let's see. Where should we start? How about with uh, the fact that the uh, spiritual exercises are now. Um, kind of within the Catholic world, uh, they're getting, I think, more well-known as more lay people make this retreat. Uh, traditionally, it's a retreat that all Jesuits make um, twice in their life, once as a, as a novice when they're first joining the order, and then sometime later on down the road before taking final vows in the Society of Jesus. And most of us make it, all of us really make it in a a 30-day format. So we take a whole month and make this uh, silent retreat where we're praying for sometimes even five hours a day, uh, each, you know, not all at once. I mean, those hours are set, are separated and spread out throughout the day. But um, we make this retreat. We, we meet every day with a spiritual director who is helping us to understand what's going on in our prayer. And... Um, you know, the, the exercises, it's, it's kind of interesting how they came about. Um, so St. Ignatius, before he was a Jesuit, uh, was he's a Spaniard, and he was uh, a military man, a soldier, and kind of worldly. He uh, really liked the ladies and was hoping to uh, attract worldly honor by means of his military exploits and so forth. And so he found himself one day in a battle uh, at Pamplona, Spain, against the French. Uh, the French and the Spanish are kind of traditional enemies. And um, in the course of this battle, which the Spanish were losing pretty badly, actually, they were kind of getting their butts kicked, um, Ignatius kind of rallied the troops. So the other soldiers basically wanted to surrender. So he, being a fiery type of guy. He got them riled up. And so they kept battling on. But uh, unfortunately, was he a priest at this time? No, he's just, he's a layman. He's completely layman. He's not, he's not even, he's culturally Catholic. Maybe he's practicing his faith uh, minimally, but no, he's, he's very much a man of the world. Pretty. What was that? What, what makes you say minimally? That well, just given his own, his own autobiography and what he tells us of himself, he was okay. a man that was pretty caught up in the things of the world and was quite vain. Uh, we're pretty sure he, um, he probably fathered a child out of wedlock. So, so Ignatius might have been, might be, uh, might have been a dad. 
He might have been a dad. He might have been a dad, right? So anyway, so in the course of this battle at Pamplona, he gets uh, struck in the leg by a cannonball. How? Yeah, I hate when that happens. And uh, wouldn't that tear off his leg? Well, you'd think. I I don't know if it just kind of grazed it or if maybe it was a small cannibal. I don't really know, but it didn't. It shattered the leg. It kind of it, it destroyed the knee, but you know, it didn't it didn't blow off the leg. But hmm. but um so that pretty much ended his involvement and therefore it ended the battle because the rest of the soldiers without him kind of leading the charge, they they kind of got discouraged and gave up. So they surrendered to the French, but the French were so impressed by his courage and uh, willingness to fight on that they arranged themselves for him to be carried back to his family castle. Uh, his family was quite well-to-do. And uh, so they had this castle in Loyola, Spain. So he was brought back there. And for a number of months, he was just laid up in bed recuperating. And he had he had specifically asked for... Um, reading material that would have entertained him, things like, well, I guess what we would probably say are the equivalent of comic books and also chivalric uh, literature, you know, kind of, um, again, stoking his vain, uh, his vain temperament and everything. But all they had in the house or in the castle were uh, a, lo- a life of Jesus Christ and a book on the lives of the saints. So he got so bored that he started reading these, uh, this more devotional literature and, um, Long story short, it really led to a, a major conversion in him. And and uh, so after he recuperated, he began a whole new life. And and, and he went to this cave uh, in Manresa, Spain, where he had – he spent a number of months in this cave living kind of very poorly, very simply, kind of a very ascetical life. And during the course of his uh, experience at Manresa, he was given some mystical experiences – so he began writing down in a notebook, you know, what was happening uh, in his own prayer, in his own soul. And then that that's kind of what eventually he put together as the spiritual exercises. And so it's kind of interesting that he wasn't a priest yet. He wasn't even, he hadn't joined any religious order. He was a layman. So the exercises were basically uh, composed by a layman, not by a cleric. And so this book, uh, it's really more of a handbook. It's not, it's not a book you read cover to cover, but it's a handbook um, that uh, is used by a spiritual director to guide somebody in this retreat. It's now, you know, been handed down over five, you know, 500 years. And, and um, it contains um, a lot of scripture references that are organized according to certain themes. Uh, Ignatius did also author some of his own original meditations that are contained in this handbook. Uh, and then there's other, other resources that are helpful, like rules for this, for discerning the Holy spirit versus the evil spirit or, um, little notes and helps to pr- how to pray better, um, how to, th- how to think with the church, how to be a, a man or woman who really, um, has a, an attitude of genuine, adherence and obedience to the church. And so anyway, all these different things are brought together in this well, one resource. So let me, let me see if I can recap if I've been following along properly. Okay. Um, Ignatius was fighting for Spain mm-hmm. and, but the French were, uh, liked him so much that after he got shot in the leg with a cannon, um, they brought him back to his, uh, home in Spain. Correct. Correct. Yep. And then he wrote all this stuff 
he couldn't join the Jesuits because he hadn't invented the Jesuits. Yet. Right. So, but he did. He did all this writing as a as a lay person. As a as a lay person, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's impressive. And he went into the cave. He was just a he was a layman at the time, and he went into the cave. Yeah. So he set out from his family home and uh, ended up kind of wandering as a itinerant. Um, not that preacher, but just an itinerant uh, ascetical figure, you know, as, as he was trying to come to grips with this whole new life that God was calling him. He didn't know really where God was leading him, but he just wanted to deepen his relationship with Jesus. And so he went to this cave uh, in Manresa, and that's where he spent some time, you know, receiving these mystical visions and writing all this stuff down in a notebook. And so when he emerged from his time in Manresa, he had a better, clearer understanding of what God, you know, was asking of him. And so he's got this handbook or this manual called the spiritual exercises. And, hmm. and, you know, like I said, all Jesuits make it in a 30 day month long format. Um, there's 19 people here at Mundelein seminary near Chicago who are making it. There's, there's some priests, there's some seminarians, there's some lay people, a couple of uh, religious sisters, so um, people today still make this 30-day retreat, but you know most people can't take a month out of their life to make a retreat like this. So a lot of people today, a lot of lay people um, experience this retreat spread out over like nine months where they're, they're not praying four or five hours a day. They're praying maybe 45 minutes to an hour a day and then meeting with a, a retreat director once a week to talk about what's happening. So... So it's spread out. Like often, it's done from September to May. Can I ask more questions about Ignatius before we move sure, on? Sure. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. He does eventually. You know, like seriously, I know zero about Saint Ignatius. Oh, okay. Like the amount of knowledge that I had, like I have learned, you know, so much mm. just from this conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I didn't. Did he ever actually become a priest? Oh yeah, he was. He was eventually ordained a priest. Um, okay. You know, initially when he started um, gathering companions. No, okay. no, no. Because we, we, the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus has both priests and brothers. So not right. all Jesuits are priests. So no, it's, it's a very um, appropriate question, but Ignatius himself did become a priest and, uh, and, uh, but his initial intention was to found this order. Um, I guess you could say like, well, it's interesting because most people, the priests that they know are diocesan priests. Um, they may know some religious priests, you know, like Benedictines, Franciscans, uh, Dominicans or Jesuits, but um, all these orders also have non-ordained members. And um, so it's not automatic that a religious is also uh, ordained a priest, but, but um, many, many are, many are. But yeah, Ignatius eventually became ordained as a Catholic priest. Okay. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And so he began actually giving once, you know, once he had all these mystical experiences, he started giving this retreat to people. Um, and that led to their, you know, conversion in a lot of cases. Some of them remained lay people. Other, others of them joined him as, as Jesuits. They joined his order. Um, so it's well, just so. How did he down. form this order? Like, was it just? It was just like I have all these spiritual exercises, and so therefore we're going to have 
these Ignatian principles from form and order? Or, I mean, was that like, um, was that approved by the bishop? Mm-hmm. Um, what, 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 yeah. else, what, what was the whole thought process in that? Yeah. So, well, initially what happened was he started gathering like-minded companions. So uh, somebody like a, a, a St. Francis Xavier, who's probably more famous even than Ignatius, um, you know, Francis was a fellow student in Paris with Ignatius, as were some of the other early companions. So they were students together. And then, um, you know, they got to know him and he began explaining um, to them, you know, kind of his own experience and, and they, they were enamored with that. And then he would give them some version of the spiritual exercises themselves so that they were starting to get, you know, just having their own kind of deepening friendship with God. And so when, when they started to gather these companions together, they, they kind of had to go actually through a discernment process as they, they began to wonder whether God was calling them to form a more permanent union as, as a religious order, whether there was something that God wanted of them beyond just remaining friends. And uh, right. so they actually went through a, a deliberation or a discernment process and determined they initially were just going to go to the Holy land and kind of spend their lives preaching and just kind of uh, visiting the Holy sites. And, but then God kind of, you know, revealed to them that he wanted them to actually begin this new venture, this new adventure, uh, the, the Society of Jesus. And and it's interesting that unlike the Dominicans who are named for St. Dominic or the Benedictines named for St. Benedict or the Franciscans named for St. Francis, you know, we aren't calling, we don't call ourselves Ignatians. We're called the Society of Jesus. So Ignatius wanted this order to be uh, named for Jesus himself. And hmm. And uh, so that's really their focus. They just, they were really in love with the Lord and they wanted to serve him and felt that he was calling them to begin um, a religious order that would, uh, yeah, be dedicated to spread, basically spreading, evangelizing and spreading the word. So do you think, and I know we want to talk about something else, but I'm curious about this. No, no. Um, Do you think that it was... um, Ignatius that was desiring to form this order or was it so many people that so many men that desired to be like Ignatius that were like, you know, we teach us more. Let us, let's, uh, let us form a group together. Like what do you think came first, the chicken or the egg on that? I think, I think it was kind of a combination to be honest. I don't think it was just like Ignatius's, idea, which then he launched and others said, Oh, that's interesting. You know, I think, I think it really was in, there were like, initially there were um, like 10 companions. So there was Ignatius. He was one of 10 that were, you know, kind of forming this bond of friendship in the Lord. And I think that together they just sort of began to realize, you know, this was something of God and that it was meant to, um, lead to something more permanent as opposed to just like 10 good buddies that are going to just separate and go their own ways and, and uh, you know, get hmm. together for a beer once in a while or something. So, um, yeah, so I think it was, it was really kind of a group, um, group decision and group realization. Hmm. Yeah. All right. And uh, anyway, so these exercises are, um, yeah, they've been a, a big influence in, in the church and, um, 
And this is what you've been focusing on in the past month uh, right. with these retreatants. Right, exactly. So we started, we, we came together down here on June 30th and had just, you know, an initial day of introductions and getting kind of the lay of the land and some practical logistical things in place. And then on, uh, on July 1st, the, um, the retreat began and it'll, it'll end on the 31st. And, um, yeah. And, and, and so we've been leading these 19 people through a, a process that, um, kind of follows particular themes. You know, sometimes the image that I use or the analogy that helps people is to think of a symphony. I mean, these are maybe for people that are more into classical music, but when you go to a symphony, you know, you usually have three or four movements um, that are, are part of that piece of music and uh, they follow certain musical themes. So likewise, Ignatius um, organized his own personal experience and all these scripture passages according to certain themes. And um, so the first of the, we call them weeks, they don't correspond exactly to seven days. Some are a little bit shorter, some are a little bit longer, but more or less um, each week of the exercises is about uh, about seven days. And so actually the retreat usually begins with like maybe two days or possibly three days focused on the love of God. So you're just taking some scripture passages where you're just spending time kind of rerouting yourself in God's love for you and focusing on that because that's important because the, the first major theme or movement of the retreat is looking at the reality of sin. So the retreatant is asked to pray about actually the, the fall of the angels, you know, even before the human race was created, we believe that there were angels created by God that rebelled and fell. So people, you know, we're talking about Satan and demons, but then, you know, there's Adam and Eve. And so the fall of our first parents and how that kind of infected the world with, with sin and evil. And then we look at our own, you know, in the retreat, you're invited to look at just your own personal history of sin, which again is a pretty daunting thing. And, and, can be discouraging, but but that's why it's really important to remember that, you know, we're sinners yet loved. I mean, God's love is with us and God's mercy is there. And that's what gives us the courage to be able to look at um, the sin in our own lives. So the first week kind of is a history of, of sin. And then, you know, that kind of culminates with often people go to confession then within the retreat and, and, and you know, we're experiencing maybe some some sorrow for our sin and some, the pain of what our sins has caused God and other people, but it ends on a, uh, on a more up, up note because we, we realize how much God's mercy has saved us from our sin and the consequences of our sin. So that then leads into the second major theme or of the retreat, which is basically discipleship with Jesus Christ. And this, this second theme usually is the longest of the month and, um, and so we start with the Annunciation and the Incarnation, Jesus' birth, and it goes all the way up until the start of his passion. So throughout this week of the retreat, we're looking at his teaching, we're looking at miracles, and the whole point is not just to like look at this from a distance like a, like a history lesson, but to see how this Jesus Christ is calling me to share in his ministry, to be his companion, and, and so I'm looking at all these mysteries recorded in the Bible in the New Testament from the standpoint of like, what, what's, what's this mean for my life? And, um, 
So it's all about growing in union with Jesus and trying to then grow as a disciple to be a holier, um, more virtuous follower of Jesus, basically. And then the third uh, period of the retreat, the third uh, week of the retreat is focused on Christ's passion and death. So, um, again, kind of a daunting theme. I mean, we're looking at some pretty ugly realities of Jesus's being tortured and dying on the cross. But again, it's all about like Jesus is undergoing this for me and for the world's salvation. He's doing it out of love that the cross is really the the biggest or the most um, awesome way that God shows that he loves us. And so we're invited to kind of stay close to him in his suffering, to um, try to even comfort him in his suffering. So it's it's kind of a mixed uh, grace. On the one hand, I might again feel some real uh, sadness and pain at knowing that my sins have basically put Jesus on the cross. But I'm also deeply moved by his willingness to die for me out of love. And that should that should fill me with a real hope and, and, and consolation as well. And then and then right now, just as of like two days ago, the retreatants basically have moved into the fourth and final week of the retreat. And that final theme is focused on the risen Christ. So we we contemplate his resurrection from the dead. And, and we have, obviously, in the, in, the, in the Gospels, we have a number of um, recorded resurrection appearances. So the retreatants are praying with those, and we pray with the ascension of Jesus. And even some of the um, stuff that we read in the Acts of the Apostles, where the early apostles are filled with the spirit of the risen Christ, and they're performing miracles, and they're preaching boldly um, the, the risen Christ. So, so the retreatants are entering into that stage now. And so the kind of the heaviness and the maybe the sorrow of, the, of that third week on the passion and death is now being, it's now giving way to a much more joyful uh, spirit. And so the retreat kind of ends on a, on a very uh, light filled and joyful um, theme. And, and then they're encouraged to go back, of course, to their ordinary daily lives. And we, we often call the fifth week, we, we, we use that term, the fifth week to refer to, you know, all the post-retreat life that you go back to. You go back to your family, back to your professional life, but you're now a different person and you, and you go back with more willingness to be a disciple and to find God in all, in all dimensions of your daily life. So that's, that's kind of the overall trajectory of the retreat. And yeah, it's quite, I mean, if a person's open to it, it's, it, it can be quite transformative. It, you know, sometimes there are new insights, but often it's like stuff that we already know going into the retreat, but we experience mm-hmm. it in a new way or at a new level. So like all these 19 people, I mean, they all knew God loved them, but they're experiencing that love in a new way or at a new depth, you know? Mm-hmm. And so lots of, lots of things we kind of know in our head that, were, that we believe as Christians, these things get like... Um, like experienced more deeply in the heart and they become more personal, you know? So, yeah. Hmm. So there's, what was there's the thing that drew summary. you into, uh, um, the, the Jesuits? What was, uh, what was the draw for you personally? Um, well, I had gone to, uh, both. Let me ask Jesuits. you, let me, let me rephrase the question. Oh, okay. If you hadn't, uh, joined, uh, the Jesuits, um, do you think that you would have uh, still become a priest? You know, I honestly don't know because for me, they were so tied up together. Like my first, 
I guess in grade school, you know, before I met the Jesuits, I did have some thoughts of priesthood, but they were kind of fleeting and they were kind of, um, you know, what you'd expect from a child, you know, whereas like in high school and college, I had eight years of Jesuit education and, and it really was as a, as a young man, uh, getting more, you know, getting older, getting more formed. I, I, I guess I, I was just drawn to the society of Jesus. And I think I always assumed that if I became a Jesuit, I would actually become a priest also. I mean, some Jesuits don't, some, some guys join the Jesuits knowing that they want to be a Jesuit. They want to be religious, but they want to be a brother. They don't want to, they're not feeling called by God to be ordained a priest. Other guys join the Jesuits thinking they're going to be a priest. And then along the way, they're like, no, I think I really am called to be a brother and not a priest. For me, you know, priesthood and Jesuit, they were kind of, uh, they were kind of twin vocation calls. And they, I never really did think about being a brother. I mean, I just felt always called to be a priest as well. But, but I, it's a good question. I don't know whether I would have become like a diocesan priest if I hadn't been uh, drawn to the Jesuits, maybe I would have just remained a layperson and done something else with the church or something. I don't know. Can we um, can we get a Jesuit brother onto the program sometime? Because I think that would be interesting. I have a I'm I'm, I'm I'm struck at uh, and I'm I don't. It's only because I I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of joining a religious order and not being a priest is intriguing to me. Uh-huh. That's, uh, that's, it's like, well, I mean, if you, if you're jumping in the pond, you might as well jump. Well, on the deep end. no, they really are two separate vocations. Cause like, if you think about the Christian brothers, for example, like up in Minnesota, they, they've, you know, the Christian brothers have had a pretty big, um, presence up there. And, uh, most of them, as the name says, are brothers. Now there are some orders that ordained some members cause they needed mass and they needed the sacraments, but there are some orders in the Catholic church that are mostly brothers actually. So that call to the vowed life to, to, to submit or surrender to the vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, you know, that that's really a separate distinct call from the call mm-hmm. to be ordained. And, uh, and, um, yeah, so I, I think in most people's experience, like your own, you know, we don't we don't encounter a lot of religious brothers anymore. I mean, they're not as numerous, even within the Society of Jesus. You know, they they aren't as numerous as they used to be. Um, so they're the likelihood of running into one is less. Yeah, and of course, all the most of the you know most of people's experience of the of the Catholic clergy, it, it is a priest, and most of the you know, like films that they might see or media they'd encounter about, about the church. It also is about priests, but, um, but just as, you know, there are women religious, obviously a lot of nuns and sisters, um, there are, there are male religious that are not ordained, but, uh, yeah. I, I, the first church that I worked at, I was in a Franciscan parish and the first church that I worked at, um, there was a, a Franciscan brother that was there that was, um, like my right hand man oh. with the the youth program. Okay, yeah, really good guy. Um, uh-huh. Maybe I'll give him a call. Yeah. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Why'd you settle? Why'd you settle? No, I didn't settle. This is what God called me to. Yeah. Good. <laughs> So yeah, that's a good idea. And this is these questions are just out of pure ignorance. It's not like uh, you know, 
That's uh, I don't. I just don't know. I don't. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Well, but no, I mean, it's good that you're asking because a lot most people wouldn't know. So, so good. Well, let's see. I don't know if you maybe. I don't know how much time we want to devote to this, but we could. I know, we wasted yeah. so much time at the beginning. I have I absolutely know. no idea where. And then apparently, I'm cutting out like a really <laughs> well-told story, and that's. That'll be a teaser for you folks because you're never going to hear it. <laughs> That's right. That's it's right. gone. It's gone. But I wonder if there's like uh, um, a number of uh, shining features of the Society of Jesus that. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Anyone's should, written down. You should ask about that because. Really? Yeah. I need the shining ones, though. The shiny ones? The yeah, ones I don't need the will... dull ones. No, no. I can no. come up with 10. If it's just based on you, I can come up with 10 dull ones. But let's find out the sh 10 shining features. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and what you're referring to, Jim, is is a little article that I shared with you from uh, now deceased, unfortunately, Cardinal Avery Dulles, uh, a great Jesuit scholar, uh, the son of John Foster Dulles, uh, who uh, was a, a great uh, statesman, of course, in our in our national history. But he uh, Avery, his son, uh, became a Catholic while he was at Harvard, and then he joined the Jesuits. And he was made a cardinal late in life uh, by Pope John Paul II, more because of his scholarship. He he uh, didn't he was never a bishop. But anyway, he wrote uh, an article a number of years ago in which he tried to sort of summarize, you know, based on those exercises, those spiritual exercises that I just summarized. So how did that influence our spirituality as Jesuits? And so he talks about the fact that uh, our order is really focused on evangelization, on, on serving God first and foremost. And, and, and some of our listeners, if they've gone to Jesuit schools, they might recognize some of our mottos. We, we have a number of phrases that we like to to toss around uh, and that we often put them in our literature or they're up on our banners on our campuses. And so one of them is ad maiorum dei gloriam, which in Latin means for the greater glory of God. And often you'll see AMDG associated with, uh, with the Jesuits. So, you know, one of our main thrusts is, which is not surprising as a religious order is that we want to give, glory to God. And, and we also use a word uh, very often in, in Jesuit speak, which is magis. It's a Latin word meaning more. So Ignatius wanted us to like um, engage in ministries that would give more glory to God, that would give, you know, kind of give the most glory to God that we could. So there's, there's, there's this kind of impetus towards what is greater, uh, what is going to, um, you know, bring about the greater good. Um, it's also a religious order because the exercises focus so much on that companionship with Jesus that I was talking about in the second week, you know, we're very much, uh, focused on Jesus and that's why we're called the society of Jesus and not the society of Ignatius. He didn't want himself to be at the front and center. And, um, and so a lot of our spirituality is, is really about forming a deep union with Jesus Christ and being his companion. Now, that should be true of every Christian, of course. But, um, you know, our order in particular is characterized by this deep devotion to the incarnate uh, God and, and to following Jesus Christ. And then along with that, we believe that Jesus, you know, after he ascended, I mean, he left us a church. It's his body, the, the Catholic Church. And so... 
also Ignatius was very devoted to the Catholic Church. Now, he, he lived at a time when actually some of the popes were not so great. I mean, we've had in recent history saints, uh, St. John Paul II, St. Paul VI, St. John XXIII, um, you know, some of the piouses, St. Leo the Twenty. So we're actually living at a time when a lot of the popes are saintly holy men. That wasn't always the case with the medieval and Renaissance papacy. So all the more amazing that for Ignatius, it wasn't about this particular man or this particular occupant of the chair of St. Peter. It was about the papacy as an institution. And he wanted all of his men in the, in the Jesuits to really be obedient to the teaching church, to the magisterium. In fact, part of the spiritual exercises, he included what he called rules for thinking with the church. And so he, he wanted us to be men who are really uh, committed to loving and serving the church. Um, so anyway, those are some features. And then, you know, other things that are characteristic of our, like of our way of life is we're, we're a worldwide order. Um, I, I, don't know exactly how many we are right now. I mean, at last count, we were somewhere around 20,000 members. So we're the largest, I think we're still the largest religious order in the church and we're spread all around the world. And so we've been known as great missionaries and often the popes have looked to us to kind of be men that could be sent anywhere in the world. And so we talk about being available for missions. So availability is a big hallmark. I mean, I entered the Jesuits in 87. I'm now at the age of 22. I'm now 56. And I've never spent more than six years as a Jesuit in one place. So unlike a diocesan priest who spends his life basically within the confines of a diocese, even if he moves from parish to parish, you know, I've lived literally all around the world. And if my provincial said next week, I want you to go somewhere else, I would be you know, it'd take me a day or two to get packed up and I'd be on my way. So there's one of the hallmarks of our of our life is that we want to be available for mission uh, to go where we're needed. Um, we also talk about discernment. The Ignatius is famous for what he calls the rules of discernment. So helping people to discern God in their lives. And how do we distinguish God's voice and God's presence from the voice of our spiritual enemy who often likes to tempt us and to lie to us and deceive us. So there's a whole like school, if you will, or a whole theory of, of discernment that is associated with the Jesuits. How do we make good decisions about uh, where the Holy Spirit is acting, you know, and, and how do we discern the voice of Satan and then rebuke that and, 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 uh, stand up to that voice. Um, maybe I just highlight maybe one other, uh, I mean, there's probably a lot more we could say, but one other trait that I think is really at the heart of our life is uh, we Jesuits tend to be in the best sense of the world word, very humanistic. Um, we believe that the world is a place where God can be found in pretty much every, every reality. You know, we're not monks. We don't go off to a monastery and spend hours and hours in prayer. We're men that live in the world and believe that God is found in all dimensions of the world. And so we have Jesuits that are, you know, have been world famous scientists and scholars and artists. Pretty much any endeavor, human endeavor, you'll find Jesuits there. 
because we really do believe that even though it's a fallen world and a sinful world in a lot of ways, it's also a world that is created by God, that is loved by God, that has been redeemed by God. So that's why you find Jesuits um, kind of doing so many different ministries. And, and so we have a great respect for like the natural world that God has created, you know, that grace builds on nature to quote St. Thomas Aquinas. So, so we're very much in dialogue with people that are like aren't Christian and we're in dialogue with scientists that don't really believe in God. And yet we believe that science is one way that we can like see God's presence and finger fingerprints all over the created world that he's made. And so it's a pretty optimistic and world affirming vision, even though we recognize obviously that, yeah, it's also a scarred world and a broken world. But so those would be some hallmarks, I think, of our spirituality. So um, let me throw out a couple things as far as observations about the uh, the Jesuits and, mm-hmm. and tell me what you think about that. Okay. Um, and when I was in college, um, I got the uh, and uh, people were saying this um, that if uh, you wanted to join a religious order. Um, that was uh, really uh, focused on um, intellectual um, thought. Uh, then join the Jesuits if you, if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there was a lot of brainy people in the Jesuits, and and, and, and then I met you, and I, was, <laughs> I questioned that. But uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? Is that is that a, a common uh, conception of uh, the Jesuits? I would say so. And, and certainly in this country, we have at this point uh, 50 high schools and 28. There's a lot of of of, schools attached to you guys. Right. And so I think that would be an obvious connection that, you know, not every Jesuit gets a PhD or not every Jesuit um, becomes a professor or a teacher. But but yes, there is something about our history and the missions that we've been given by the church that um, we do attract. Um, and maybe because, like I said before, we have a, a very world affirming approach to things where we want to be in dialogue with the world. So it does tend to attract people that um, are either pretty bright or at least have an academic interest. Now, having said that, again, there's a lot of Jesuits that have been very happy and uh, wonderful Jesuits who have had a big impact on people who are not who are not the sharpest tool in the shed or didn't get anything beyond a uh, you know a master's degree or whatever. So um, and they actually the brother historically the brothers would have had even less education. So so yeah, um, but I think the the stereotype or whatever that we're, we're kind of uh, you know brainy people. I mean, I think again that that's there's some foundation for that, but it, it, can, it can become a prideful thing too for us. You know, we have to be careful that we're not, uh, that it doesn't become hubris and like, Oh, look at how bright we are and how, you know, I mean, we, cause yeah, that's not good. It's all, it's always at the service of the church and of God. Um, but, but I think a lot of people know us through our schools, which, which is why they would associate us with education. Well, and there's also a, a counter reputation that uh, gets uh, promoted that uh, um, some of the Jesuits are, um, let's say, less orthodox mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or rebellious in their 
and their nature and what, uh, and I, I mean, for the record, and I give you a lot of grief, but for the record, um, I mean, you are, have shown, you demonstrated to me over the years that you are an, an Orthodox priest and Orthodox uh-huh. Jesuit and you, uh, um, that that's, uh, that's of critical importance to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know of some Jesuits that are, uh, yeah, there's a spectrum, you know, there's yeah, a spectrum yeah. and, uh, and by the way, I mean, we probably don't need to clarify this, but we also talk about like there's Orthodox Christians, meaning not Roman Catholic, but they, you know, they, there's another branch of Christianity. So when you and I are talking about Orthodoxy here, we're talking about thinking with the church and being on board with the, you know, official church teaching and all that. And, and I do, you know, I do try to try to uh, <laughs> adhere to that. I know I probably didn't need to clarify that, but just I was in like, case, where is he case. going with this? It's like, no, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that you're outside <laughs> church. No, no, no. But there are Orthodox uh, Christians who are not Roman Catholic Christians, and so anyway, but um, an Orthodox Catholic, an Orthodox Catholic, right? Um, yeah, no, I think you know that is one of the things that is a bit maybe paradoxical is that Ignatius was very clear that he wanted his. Uh, men to be really on board with the church and its teachings. And yet some of the most well-known Jesuits throughout, you know, at least the last century or something have, have been at times, uh, you know, have uh, not adhered to official church teaching in various ways and, and uh, have gotten in, into trouble even with, uh, with the, uh, with Rome, with the Vatican. So um, yeah. So I think, you know, that's, and, and, and it's, you know, I think as you look over the 2000 years of church history, sometimes, sometimes what happens is somebody who at the time is seen as heretical, you know, they get, they get proven correct later. Um, so we also have to realize that sometimes within the church, you have people that are kind of pushing the envelope, but I still think, um, unfortunately there have been, yeah, some Jesuits that have uh, stepped outside the, let's say, the legitimate bounds of diversity or of um, belief and and have really, um, yeah, just, I think, taken positions that are not compatible with with the uh, the fundamental doctrines. And I don't think they're going to be proven right any time. No, I think they've kind of, yeah. They've, they've <laughs> There's tried. some that go against, um, you know, dogmatic belief and that can be troublesome that can be troublesome and then my favorite thing about um the jesuits i don't know how long we're going but the favorite thing is just all of um the uh theories that get promoted about jesuits oh i want to do a whole podcast on um jesuit uh people who have promoted that the Jesuits started the CIA and mm-hmm. the Jesuits helped the well, that Nazis. One's true. That one's true. Is it really? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jim, if we can't do a podcast podcast on this because I'd have to kill you if you, if you <laughs> spread these truths. If we let them out, I, we're all sworn to kill those who spread. Wow. Yeah, See, so. that's not in the top 10 shining attributes <laughs> no. of no. Jesuits. We right. will kill you if that's you right. let our secrets out. We're ninjas. We're actually spirit, you know, little ninjas. Right. Uh, yes, no, it is kind of funny because of our, because of the influence we wielded, especially, you know, a few centuries ago in Europe, uh, we were, 
yeah, we've been associated with every possible uh, assassination and theory. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, um, right. Yep. It's kind of funny. You can find all my, that. On, on my favorite, because we'll never do this episode, but my favorite conspiracy theory is that Jesuits um, will get trained. And then um, who are the, the what's the, what's the title of the people who are um, training the Jesuits? Like formators? I don't know. I don't know. The, the people sure. who are. Um, teaching you how to be a Jesuit. Who are those? Um, yeah, I guess we'd call them formators in general. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the the formators would then get together and say, okay, um, uh, we need to send some of these guys out into the south um, to uh, infiltrate pres- uh, Protestant churches, uh, but we only send the good looking ones, so they'll get married and then <laughs> convert people Ooh. to Catholicism. That way. And that just makes me laugh because if there's any truth to it whatsoever, um, there was people that sat around and so we got, we got robbed here. What do we, yeah, I've never been sent to the South just to be, just to be very clear about that. So I'm one of the ugly ones. I mean, he's a nice guy, but let's just have him do spiritual direction. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm not getting any prettier as I get older. So, so yeah, there's a lot of go out and check out the Ooh. Jesuit conspiracy theories because they are oh, yeah. absolutely it's a, it's fascinating. A lot of fun. It is, yeah. None of them are true, but they're a lot really fascinating. They anyway, are. I don't know what we're at at the time mark. I don't know either. You probably get this stuff. Yeah, that's okay. <clears throat> so that's why you get paid the big bucks, right? That would be a <laughs> good time to mention if you want to reach out to us, like Glenna has. Yay. Feel free to send us an email at mail, M-A-I-L, at twoartgathered.com, the number two, the letter did you, R. Did you spell that because you thought people might put M-A-L-E? I have. I've thought that before. <laughs> so that's why you say M-A-I-L? Okay. No, no. I just, why are you giving me a hard time about this? Yeah, this is know. That's not a shining trait either, pal. <laughs> Cynicism and sarcasm. That's what I'm saying. A lot of sarcasm that comes through. (laughs) Not a shining trait, my friend. Yeah, I've had people, just so you know, I've had people recently tell me, um, they didn't put this in an email, but they did tell me they really enjoy our banter and they think we have a good rapport. So that's nice. So what you're saying is that people really like you giving me grief. Right. They like when I beat up on you and and belittle you. I have no problems with that. That's why I get all the likes, I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know what's going on there. Um, So um, you can reach out to us there, mail at tourgather.com. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page. I mean, we could set up a website. we got a domain, but I haven't done that yet. Um, And, okay, so do you have uh, things that we like, or do you need me to cover that? Yeah, why don't you do it? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we're going back to a tried and true one because um, last week kind of sucked around here. And in the midst of an incredibly stressful week, I lost my favorite rosary. Oh. Gone. Yikes. And I I had it for a couple of years. Mm. Um, uh, It was uh, made with paracord and really solid beads because I, and I've said this before, I'm tough on rosaries. Yeah. it's not that like I'm praying real hard. I'm just a klutz. <laughs> so I've got a giant bag of broken rosaries that I need to figure out what to do with them because they're all sacramentals. But this was like, this was my go-to rosary. And it was, it had uh, St. Michael as the medallion. 
mm-hmm. uh, on it. Um, it just really felt, mm. I don't, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I mean, I've, I've been, I've had a rosary on my body for years, like yeah. decades, but this one just felt really like I felt secure with this thing on me. And it was made by um, uh, a, it's a website called the Catholic Woodworker. I pitched okay. them a couple of times. I'm doing it a third because yep. they sent me the the rosary that I lost. Oh, wow. um, within about five days of my ordering it. Oh, excellent! So I have got it back. I went to uh, I got it on Friday. Mm-hmm. I'd lost it. I made the order on Monday. I got it by Friday. And um, went uh, to my church that's usually shut down on Fridays, and there was a priest walking around, and he oh, blessed it for me, and then great. I got to break it in at adoration at 1 a.m. So that was awesome. Yes, I'm very, very happy. And I really, I mean, I'd had the last one for a couple of years. Yeah. And I don't want to lose this one again. No. They, they ain't cheap. No. I'll say that. Okay. I mean, you can go out and you can get a rosary for like 10, 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, and those are all lovely rosaries to get, but uh, mm. um, it was well worth the money okay. all right. to drop on this one. Excellent. There you go. And I'll, sure. uh, it's, uh, I'll have the link again in the uh, description, and we'll be good to go with that. Sounds great. All right. So should mm-hmm. we end with some prayer? Yes, out, Father. Let's do it. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Lord, we bless you and praise you. We're grateful that we had this opportunity today to uh, talk about St. Ignatius, and we call upon your intercession for us as well. And uh, I want to lift up in prayer all of these retreatants who have just a few days left now of their month-long retreat. And um, we pray, Lord, that you would just walk with us uh, in the coming day. Just help us to find you in all things and to do everything for your greater glory. And we can say glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Father. Hey, thank you, Jim. Great. Thanks for all those questions. You get a, you get a break uh, between uh, uh, retreats? Um, well, the retreat will end on the 31st, and then I'm going to get go on vacation in early August for a few days, so I'll, I'll get a break then. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, so, and then next week, um, I am going to be in Alaska with my wife, but yes. we have a couple episodes in the what do we say in the bank in the hopper uh, in the hopper ready to go out so um you will still be able to download and listen to our podcast all right hey i hope you see we're some vacationing i hope you see some whales and thank uh, you man and have a wonderful time i've never been up there but i know it's it's beautiful well, it's it's. I, I went up there about twenty years ago, but this is Jen's first time, so I'm okay. super excited. Excellent. We're doing a cruise, and and um, I think she's just absolutely gonna love it. All anyway, right. thanks for listening. Wait, hold on. I got closing music, don't I? Um, oh, yeah. I gotta play the closing music. Here we go. Oh, there we go. Yay! <laughs> I should have done that earlier. That's okay. All right, James, vacation well, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time. Why am I in trouble with you? I don't understand. All right, take care, folks. God bless. I'll figure out why I'm in trouble with uh, Father Rob. (laughs)
Bye-bye. <laughs>